Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We trust that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. Today we're beginning a new series as we go verse by verse through Hebrews chapter 11. The title of our series is Faith Worth Following. Faith Worth Following. And we're going to look from Hebrews chapter 11 about a legacy of faith that's been passed down to us from uh, famous people in the Bible that I'm sure you've heard of. People like Moses and Abraham, Jacob and Joseph and others that we're going to be looking at. Now, um, there are few things in this life that are understood or misunderstood the most as faith. There is a great lack of understanding about what real faith is. In fact, if you talk to someone who is not a believer, they maybe an agnostic person, maybe someone who's an atheist, they think that Christians basically live by blind optimism. They think that Christians don't live by any type of evidence or that there's no basis for belief. They think that believing in God is like believing in Santa Claus or believing in the Easter Bunny, that we believe in things that aren't real. What you'll find is that the Word of God says something completely separate about what faith is. And I'm convinced that most people don't really understand what faith is. And Hebrews chapter 11 is going to define that. I think it's page 889. Is that right? In the red Bibles, if you have one, page 889, Hebrews chapter 11. Just a moment, we're going to read the first three verses. But let me say a couple thoughts before we begin. First, everybody lives by faith. Everyone. There's not a person on planet Earth that does not live by faith. They all do. John Phillips, who's a Bible teacher and commentator, says that faith is the common denominator of life. Let me just give you a few examples, but all of us live by Every time you go to the post office and put something precious or non-precious into the mail, you are living by faith. Now, that's a small measure of faith, but you're trusting in the post office to get this, whether it's just a letter or a card, or whether it costs a great deal of money and breakable and glass and all other types. You're living by faith. Let me give you a couple other examples. Every time you go to the bank and putting your money. Carly asked us the other day, Daddy, why do we go to the bank? I said, well, honey, we, we don't make much money, but the little bit we make, we try to put some in the bank. And she said, why do we do that? I said, well, because it's safer there. Made me think, yeah, we're putting our trust in North Shore Community Bank on Lincoln Avenue here in Skokie. We give them our money. We're trusting that whenever we need to use it, it's going to be there for us and that they're not using it for something else, right? Every time you go to the doctor's office, I mean, think about the faith. They prescribe you some pills. You have no idea. I mean, you look at that list, but you can't pronounce half those words that are on the ingredients of that, what's in there. And some guy over there or some girl is shaking all those together and putting it in there, and they may have put something else you don't know. You hope that they're doing the right job, right? And you're taking that, and you're going to put that in your body. Tell me we don't live by faith? How about every time you get in an airplane or get in your car even? Hey, I'll tell you, if you get on I-94, you're a person of faith. You go at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning, get on I-94, and tell me you don't live by faith. We got people on the shoulder running all around us. I'm like, where did this person get a license? Planet Mars? I mean, how'd they even get a license? They're running all over the road. We live by faith. When you eat a meal, walk into a building, you name it. You are living by a measure of faith. All of us do. 
John Phillips went on to say that the Muslim puts his faith in the Quran or in Muhammad. The idolater puts his faith in graven images. The humanist puts his faith in himself. The philosopher puts his faith in his own ideas. The materialist puts his faith in his own money. And the religionist puts his faith in good works. The true believer puts his faith in Jesus Christ. But we all live by faith. Every one of us. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that true Bible faith, and we're talking about faith of genuine Christians, and we're talking about real faith according to God's Word. True faith is not blind optimism. It is not a manufactured hope-so feeling, like, is it going to be sunny today or not? I hope so, maybe so, kind of so type of thing. As they would say in North Carolina where I lived for a while, I reckon so, right? That meant maybe, maybe not. That's, that, that's what a lot of people, their definition of faith is kind of a blind optimism or a hope-so-manufactured, kind of making myself feel as if it's going to happen. But neither is it intellectual assent to doctrine. So in other words, faith is not just mentally assenting that something is true. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And faith is certainly not believing in spite of evidence, because that's mere superstition. What is faith? Let me give you this definition. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the description of faith. We'll say more about that. But let me give you this definition of faith. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. So it's obeying confidently what God has said, even if the circumstances at present seem unfavorable or the consequences that could be the result of that decision seem as if they could be difficult or challenging. So it's not a blind leap. It is not um, blind optimism. It is taking God at His word. It's trusting that God is good and faithful and just and obeying Him even though we can't see beyond that. Can I give you an example? There have been a few times that I've got on an airplane and it's been so cloudy. It's been real foggy. And I'll just be honest with you, I got my stomach kind of got tore up a little bit. I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to get in this plane right now. I mean, it's all, I mean, how's this pilot going to see you? I mean, we're, it's cloudy everywhere. We take off, we strap in, and I'm confessing every sin. Of, no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, hey, Lord, just get me through this, right? And, and we get on the runway, and I think there's no turning back now, right? So we get on the runway, and we take off, and we're doing all this, and we're still in the clouds. I'm looking out there. And cl- After about 20 minutes, 15 minutes, he climbs up. We get above the clouds. And the prettiest sunshine you've ever seen, clear as could be, except for the birds flying all. No, I mean, it's just clear as could be. What? We got above the clouds where we couldn't see. And now we can see it's all peaceful, calm, and beautiful. True faith is saying, I may not be able to see exactly beyond the clouds right now, but God has said it. I'm putting my trust in what He says. And what we find is that eventually God takes us beyond the clouds where we can see a little bit more from his perspective. So it's not blind optimism. It's trusting God in obedience to his word. Now, because there's such a misunderstanding about faith, there are a lot of people who are confused. They are really unstable and uncertain in their Christian life or in their life in general. Uh, They are frustrated because they're saying, I don't really know what it is to live a life of faith. They don't understand faith, and so they're frustrated. They're lacking joy and confidence in their walk with God. Because they're trying to figure out all these things and 
not really understanding what biblical faith is. And so what happens is the reason they're lacking in joy, uncertain, confused, frustrated, lacking in confidence is this. It's because they are a prisoner. They are a prisoner being led by their feelings. Can I tell you that your feelings are an absolute dictator and a horrible, horrible master to live by? Your feelings are up, feelings are down. Your feelings are like a roller coaster. If you live by them long enough, you're going to get sick because it's up and it's down. A lot of people live their lives based on their feelings, not by faith. So they're frustrated. They are unstable. And I wonder if that describes your life today or part of that describes your life. And if it does, I have some wonderful news for you. You can learn the description of faith, what faith is, how to live it, how to access it, and how to understand it. And so today from our passage, look at Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at verse 1 through 3. And the title of the message today is The Description of Faith. I hope you'll take some notes and jot some things down from God's Word today that speaks to your heart. Some things you can go back later and look up from His Word that I think will be helpful to you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. We'll define and explain these words in a minute. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders, or the Old Testament people that we read about, obtained a good report or a good witness from God. doesn't mean they went to school and got a good report card here. That's not what we're talking about. When it says the elders received a good report, it means that they received a good commendation from God, a good witness from God. God responded to their faith and in a sense, honored their faith and gave them a good report, a good witness. And then look at verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The description of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Will you pray with me? Father, we have a short service this morning when it comes to the preaching time. I pray you'd help me to be very clear and concise on what you'd have me to say. Oh God, today teach us what faith is. As we look at this description of faith, open our eyes up to it so that we can grasp it and understand it and no longer be prisoners led living by our feelings or by our own understanding, but living a life of faith based upon your word and what you have said and what you know is true. Help us to obey you despite appearances and circumstances and even despite consequences to trust you and follow you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. i got two points I want to lay on your heart. If you don't write anything else down, write down these two important points. Number one, faith is the confident assurance of obtaining future promises. Faith is the confident assurance of obtaining future promises. We read the word substance a minute ago. The word substance means ground, and it gives the idea of something that you place under or set underneath of something as a support. So it carries the idea of something firm underneath that you set, like the idea of a foundation. Right here, I've got a table that is holding up our projector system. So the projector is sitting on top of the table. The table is underneath of it holding it up. 
So in one sense, faith is the ground, the substance, the, the holding up place, the evidence of things not seen. There's another verse in Scripture. You don't have to turn there because I've got it on the screen. But Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, this same word substance is used. But, you know, the Bible wasn't written in English, so we tra- it was translated in English. But the New Testament was written in Greek. And in Greek, the word substance and the word confidence, and I have all caps here, are the exact same word in the original language. So it's the idea of here, for we are made partakers of Christ. We are one with Him. We are in relationship with Him. We are in union with Christ. We've been born of Him. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So here we have the idea of substance is ground, it is confidence. It is that which is underneath, that holds firm, and it's translated in this passage, it's confidence. Notice the last part of of chapter 11, verse 1. It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word or the phrase hoped for, but a lot of people use it as a maybe, maybe not. And that's not how it was used in the Bible. In fact, This word is used time and time again in the Word of God, in the New Testament. Most of the time it's used as the, it's translated in English, trusted or trust. And listen, get get this, this is very important. It always carries the idea of something you expect to happen. Not something that you think might happen, like a 50-50 shot, but something that you confidently expect to take place. Something that you're trusting will happen. How many of you expected the sun to rise, even though you can't really see it right now? You, you woke up and you figured it's going to be there, right? Normally is. I don't think there's been a day it hadn't been up there yet. If it has, let me know. Maybe you've lived a long time. You were alive before when God made it. No. Um, so, right? But hey, the sun comes up every day. We just expect it to be there. I mean, I, when I woke up today, I kind of expected that my legs were going to be moving. I mean, you know, I, something could happen crazy, but when I put one leg down, I was just expecting that the other was going to follow. So the idea here is that hoped for is not saying hey, it's, it might happen, it might not. It's the idea of confident expectation that it's going to happen. So if we put these ideas together, faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is what it means. Faith is the confidence, this is this confidence that we will obtain, that we will have, and that we're trusting and expecting to receive some promise in the future that God has made. So anytime this word or phrase hope for is used, it's always the idea of expecting something in the future to happen. Let me give you an example. There's a man named George Mueller looking all sharp and flashy right there in the 1800s, is he not? Meet George Mueller. George Mueller was a German gentleman who moved to England to establish some orphanages in Bristol, England. He was a man of mighty faith. He had some health troubles, but this was his picture, I think, on his 90th or 95th birthday. God gave him great health, and uh, he lived a long, healthy life. If you have never read the autobiography of George Mueller, buy it on Amazon today and read it. It'll bless your life. Incredible book. He was a man of great faith. He prayed about everything, trusted God to give him what he needed. One day, he's about to get on a boat. He'd been spending some time in... uh, in the, in the States and in Canada, he's about to take a boat and he was going back to England and he had a boat that was chartering for Liverpool, England. And um, he had been expecting a chair to arrive from New York for his wife to sit on. This was back in the 1800s. They didn't have luxury liners like we have today. She got quite seasick and was difficult for her on the, on the ocean and traveling. So there's a specific chair that she found helped her very much. 
and she wanted this chair uh, so that she could have it when the, they were riding it, it would help her with her sickness. And so he had written a friend to make sure that chair was sent. And, uh, and so the day they were about to get on the, the, the boat, uh, he went up to the, uh, the agent and he asked if the chair had arrived and he was told no. And he was hopeful that maybe it would come later, but the, the agent said, sir, the boat is about to leave and I'm sorry to tell you this, but there's absolutely no way that there's enough time for this chair to arrive. It's not going to happen. And so uh, this is what he was told. George Mueller had a friend with him, and his friend said, George, you need to go down the street a block or two. I saw a place where you can buy a chair. This one's not coming. You better go buy one quick or your wife's not going to have one. This is what George Mueller said. Some of you are going to think this is crazy, but I want you to hear the end of the story. George Mueller said, no, my brother, our Heavenly Father will send the chair from New York. It is the one used by Miss Mueller. I wrote 10 days ago to a brother who promised to see it forwarded here last week. He has not been prompt as I would have desired, but I am sure our Heavenly Father will send the chair. Miss Mueller is very sick on the sea, has particularly desired to have this same chair and not finding it here yesterday. Listen to this. He said, we had made special prayer that our God would send, our Heavenly Father would provide this for us and we will trust Him to do so. So this is the idea. It wasn't him just saying, like, living by this blind optimism. He's saying, no, last night we were praying. And we prayed about this thing. And God made it so clear in our spirit that he was going to provide for this. We're trusting him. He's going to bring it. Now, the circumstances didn't seem like it. We talked about the definition of faith. But he said, no, God's going to send it. And so he, they said that the friend said George Mueller went peacefully on board. He was taking the risk of Miss Mueller making the trip without a chair. When for a couple of dollars, she could have had one. But he said, I thought he was taking his faith principles too far. But I didn't want to tell him that. He's saying, but I thought you're taking this too far. He said, he asked me to stay there 10 more minutes. And he says, and just as I started to hurry off, there was a team that drove up the street on top of a, of a load of the truck they were driving. Had, from New York was that chair that Mr. Mueller had ordered. It was sent at once to be tendered and placed into his hands and his friend took it to Mr. Mueller and just as he was about to, to, to leave on the boat, it was just in time. And the friend said, the Lord had a lesson for me that day. And he said, when I handed the, the chair to Mr. Mueller, he said, he didn't say, Whew, oh wow, I'm so glad. He said, he said, he took it with a smile in his hands as if he wasn't greatly shocked, took off his hat, bowed his head and said, Father, thank you. I knew you would send the chair for me. Faith is the confidence, the confident assurance of obtaining future promises from God. Sometimes those promises, in fact, are revealed in the Scripture, and we stand on those promises. There are times that the Spirit of God, in relation to the Word of God, makes a specific promise to you and I. As we're studying God's Word and we're reading God's Word, let me just give you a quick example because some of you may be wondering how that's happened. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible that says Daniel man is going to be healed from some sickness. And I may not be if I catch some, some sickness. Some people aren't healed of those. Some people are. You know what I found is the case, and it's not always God's will to heal. Sometimes it is God's will to heal. But you know, I've heard testimony after testimony of people saying they had developed some type of sickness, maybe cancer or some other type of thing. Studying God's word and seeking God's will. Lord, do you want me to embrace this sickness? Do you want me to pray for healing? What do you want to do? And through their time in God's word, and by the way, this doesn't happen in five minutes. You get down and say, Lord, I lay me down to rest and keep my soul at rest. And No, this is time in deep prayer with God. That doesn't happen overnight. This is over a cultivating relationship. And reading some passage, and God speaks to them, and the Holy Spirit says, that 
promise is for you in this situation. Take it and hold on to it. And I've heard many testimonies of people saying, I took that as God saying through His Spirit that this promise is something I'm going to stand on. And the person later found that God had brought healing to them. So the, but what I want to say and be very careful about is the Spirit of God and the Word of God always work in correlation together. The Holy Spirit is never going to tell you something that God's Word is against. They are always in perfect harmony. So faith is the confident assurance of obtaining future promises. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, My soul, wait thou upon God, for my expectation is from Him. When God makes you a promise through His Word, you will not be disappointed. What God promises, He will perform. And so we can take Him at His word concerning that. So the foundation of our faith. We, first of all, we have God as our foundation. We put our faith in God. And as we put our faith in God, we take hold of the promises that God has made. And we live with that confident assurance that what God has said in the future, will take place. This begins at salvation. I wonder, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and hell? Have you placed your confidence in His promise that He's made to give to you eternal life if you would repent and trust Him? That's where it begins, but it doesn't end there because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And so with every circumstance of our lives, as we face this life, We depend upon His promise with confident assurance that if it's something in the future, we expect that what God has said, God will perform. Let me give you the second and final one. Faith is the sure conviction of possessing present realities. Faith is the sure conviction of possessing or having in possession right now present unseen realities. We read that faith is the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? The word evidence is used one other time in the New Testament. And it's used here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. In this verse, it's translated reproof. Reproof. And it gives the idea of convincement or conviction. That you're convinced of something by evidence. Something is proved to you. That's what the idea carries. A different form of this word is used in John chapter 16 and verse 8 when it's talking about the Holy Spirit. It says that when He has come, that's the Holy Spirit has come, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. What's it mean He'll reprove? It means He'll convince. He'll convict. He will persuade. On the inside, He will be producing the evidence of conviction that these things are real and true and right. He's the convincer of truth. So the idea of evidence is prove, convince, or convict. The last, part of the, evi- the last part of the verse, it says, the evidence of things not seen. Something that is unseen in the physical realm. So faith is the evidence, the conviction, the convincement of things that aren't seen. Let's put these together. Faith is the conviction that we possess right now in the present moment. Realities that we cannot see. I don't know if that sounds confusing to you. I hope to make it more clear in a moment. But the idea is, is that the first part of this verse deals with things that we expect in the future, things hoped for, right? 
the substance, the confidence of things hoped for in the future. This last part that we just read, the evidence of things not seen, deals with things that we possess right now in the present. So future, hoped for. Present, those things that are not seen. Let me illustrate this to make it make more sense. In the second century, there was a brought a faithful Christian who's about to be a martyr. He's about to be murdered for his faith by a king. The king wanted him to recant his faith in Jesus Christ, but he refused. Listen to what happened. The king said this. He says, if you don't recant your faith, I will banish you. The believer said, you can't banish me from Christ, for he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The king got angry and said, well, I will confiscate your property and I will take it from you. The man replied, my treasures are laid up on high. You can't touch them there. The king became enraged at this point. He said, I will kill you. Do you hear me? I will kill you. The bolder Christian responded, I've been dead for 40 years. I've been dead with Christ. Through him, I'm dead to the world. My life is hid with Christ in God and you can't touch my life in him. You know what's powerful about that? Is everything he was talking about was an unseen reality. Everything. My treasures have all been laid up. I am dead with Christ. I don't fear death because Christ died for me. For me, for you to kill me, is for me to go to be with my Lord forever. All of that he possessed at the present moment. It was all unseen realities. Now, All of us trust in things we cannot see. We all do. In fact, a perfect example, if you have your Bible open at Hebrews 11, look at verse 3. This is very important to see as we come to a close here in just a moment. Verse 3 of Hebrews 11 says that faith, through faith we understand that the worlds or the universe was framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things that do appear. I have a question. How many of you were there when the universe was formed. Let me see your hand. You were there. How many of you feel like that you're old enough to be? Now, how many of you were there the day the universe was formed? Okay, didn't figure any hands would go up. So that means all of us are living by faith in how this was formed. Now, there are basically two sides to this. You have the naturalist or the evolutionist side that believes that matter plus time plus chance equals all that we see. And then we have the creationist side that we believe that there's an eternal, everlasting God who's uncreated, never had a time that he began. He's always been. You say, I don't understand that. That should bring you confidence because that means there's a God you can't understand. If there's a God you can understand, we've got a problem, right? We have a God who's uncreated, who is everlasting and eternal, omnipotent, all power, and he brought the world by his spoken word into existence. Now, but either way, we all live by faith. The origin of the universe is a matter of faith. None of us saw it, so we all live by faith. Now, to me, I consider myself somewhat of a, I'm not a very smart person. Uh, My wife would say a hearty amen to that if she was in here right now. But I do consider myself to be a logical person and a somewhat rational person. And it just makes to me far greater sense, because I've looked at both sides very in depth. It makes far greater sense to me logically and rationally that there's a creator God that spoke the world into existence. And there is that somehow matter existed eternally and that all of that somehow through a big bang formed. And I have many questions about where the big bang come from and all other things that we can talk about. But here's what a simple illustration I want to give you. How hard would it be for me to convince you that an explosion in a shop created a library 
Say that you had just an explosion in a printing press and that created a library. How convinced would you be of that story? How can a Big Bang explosion create such marvelous universe that we see with such extrinsic detail and minute detail that holds the world framed together? Far easier for me to believe, as hard as it is for my mind to, to, to even try to fathom that we have an eternal, everlasting, omnipotent God, it's far easier for me to rely my faith on the fact of an all-powerful, eternal God that spoke the worlds into existence and by His Word framed it, fit it together, and held it in place rather than the random product of chance. So we all live by faith in things that we cannot See, you and I who are believers are convinced that the universe was framed or put together by an eternal omnipotent God when he spoke it into existence. And so the last part of verse 3 says that um, the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. What does that mean? It means things that we see, creation, came from a God that we cannot see. Things that we see around us came from something that we cannot see, or I better should say someone that we cannot see who brought it into existence. This is what I want to say to you. We're coming to a close now. We're, hey, we're, we talked about flying a minute ago. We're, we're, we're descending right now. We're coming down into the landing here. But this is what I want to say. Forgiveness of sin, being at peace with God, ready to die because no fear, my sins are forgiven, I'm at peace with God, having His righteousness justification, on and on, these truths that we've talked about, all of those things are unseen, untangible. You can't see your forgiveness of sin. You can't see your justified standing with God. You can't see your name written in the Lamb's book of life right now. All of that is a matter of faith. But faith is the sure conviction I am convinced based upon what God has said and His faithfulness that I possess presently realities that I cannot see. If someone asked me, Daniel, are your sins forgiven? Yes. Daniel, if you die today, are you going to heaven? Absolutely. If you stand before God, are you going to spend eternity with Him 100%? Yes. How do you know? You can't see it. Because God has promised it. And I possess realities that I cannot see. And faith is that sure conviction, not this blind optimism of saying, uh, no, it's saying because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And I can put my name in there because last time I checked, I live in the world. For God so loved Daniel man that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, I think I can put my name in there again, right? That if Daniel man would believe on him, Daniel man should not perish Daniel, man, shall have everlasting life. I have rested all my confidence on what God has said. A sure conviction that we possess unseen realities. You say, how can I be convinced of that truth? The Holy Spirit is the one that convinces us of truth. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why don't you today pray, Lord, speak to my heart now so that I can respond to Christ and trust Him to save me. I'm going to close with this illustration. There's a man named Charles Boldner. That was his stage name. He was uh, a Frenchman who was an acrobat and a circus performer in the uh, mid-1800s. 
He astonished a great crowd of people by walking across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. It's a picture of him doing that, crossing the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Crowds watched and were stunned. He started as a child performing these type of traits and grew into this daring stunt that he performed uh, that made him a household name. Thousands of people witnessed him do this. And he didn't just do it once. He did it numerous times over the series of several days. In fact, you wouldn't believe this. You can Wikipedia this if you would like. But uh, he did some incredible things. He took a small oven with him one time across there. And he said he actually made himself a little bit of food while standing out there on <laughs> this tightrope. This man's nuts. That's not faith. That's crazy, right? Okay, just kidding. He did once with a wheelbarrow. Went out there, unbelievable feats that he was accomplished. But the most amazing thing is while the crowds were watching, his manager, whose name was Harry Colcord, agreed to let Charles put him on his back and carry his manager across the tightrope. Now, this is what I want to say to you about faith. All the people, thousands of people watching could have had a mental assent to saying, yeah, I think he can do it again. He's done it a couple times. He's done some crazy stuff. That was just mental assent. That's what some of you are today. Some of you, if you died today, you'd be separated from God forever because you don't know Christ. And you've given mental assent to the fact, yeah, I think Jesus is a good man. He died probably on the cross. and he, Yeah, he, he could probably save me if I ask him. But his manager said, he was the one that actually lived by faith got on the back of Charles Bolden and let Charles Bolden carry him across. And I tell you, you've not stepped into saving faith in Jesus Christ until you have placed your faith in him. Not just saying, I think he can, but where you've said, no, I'm trusting him to save me. It's a big difference in being religious and being saved. It's a big difference between believing here and believing with all thine heart. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Will you pray with me? Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I pray that today they would not leave this place before they come and talk to one of us who can share with them how they can be saved. I pray that it wouldn't be a person leave here just believing in the head some things about Jesus, but with all their heart, they would trust in him as their own personal savior to forgive them of sin. And I pray for those Christians who are here today, those that know you, those of us that know you and trust you, that you'd help us, Lord, to live a life of faith, to follow you at times when we can't see above the clouds, despite circumstances or what may be the consequences that as your word has given us your truth and what your will is, that we would follow you and obey you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ today or made a spiritual decision, you'd like to know about it, please contact us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We hope you will join us next time for another encouraging message from God's word.